The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. Thank you, dear Lord, for our podcast listeners. And I want to provide a personal welcome to someone. I will not mention your name, but I will tell you I was incredibly blessed this week as we dialogued a little bit, but there was a king of a certain country that contacted me and said that they were joining our podcast and that they had already began to be ministered to and blessed by what the Lord had been teaching them through these podcasts. And I want to encourage any of our podcast listeners to get online and see what resources are available because there's plenty of PDFs that go with these messages as well as many other media uh, materials that are free that you can use with your people no matter where you're at. I apologize for not having a lot of these materials in many of these languages, but I'm leaving that up to you as our listener. But uh, please continue to send the emails and the text messages. Uh, You can text me at 602-292-2982, and we can get the process started with you. So we welcome our online listeners this morning. The title of our message is The Radical Cross. This is really a setup message for our Christmas message. And as some of you know, I'm not really that excited about the term Christmas. The term Christmas came from the 13th century, and it is a a coined term by the Roman State Church. And it basically meant a Christ Mass. Truly what the message is behind this celebration time that we have is celebrating Christ as our life. And that's what our message is about this morning. Next week we're going to be talking about the numeric coding with the Christ child. So we're not going to be focusing on this little baby in a manger. We will have some fun videos that bring out the truths in in the fact that Christ came as a child. But we're going to be spending our time talking about the finality of the cross from the Christ child through his life through the burial, through the the resurrection, and then through the ascension. That's the message of Christmas. So we welcome our online listeners. We're excited about you joining us next week to hear the rest of the story. Got a question for you. Who would like to describe love in one word? Those of you who are listening and would like to respond by text, use my text number earlier and text me your answer. What's one word that you have? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Nice. Passionate, Passionate. yes. Jesus. I mean, when God says, I mean, he said this to John to write down, and now we read it, of course. For God is... So I know the Greek has a paragraph about that thick to describe exactly what love says in that passage, but 
When God says, I am love, he's saying it is one of his names. He has 43 primary Hebrew names. One of the names that God has given him himself is bosom, breasted one. And this is where the term in the Greek can be connected back to in the Hebrew, and that is, for I am the breasted one. Where does a child experience the most love as an infant? At the breast of the mother. And when that child is pulled away from that breast is when that child begins to experience the lack of love and begins to question, what is my mommy doing here? She's denying me access to be fed from the breast. That is exactly what Satan did in the garden with Adam and Eve. He removed Adam and Eve from sucking from the breast of God, getting their their nurturing, their nutrition, their value, their life from God himself. Satan knew exactly what he's doing. So in the New Testament, when we talk about the attacks, Satan is going to go after love issues of you not feeling love, accepted, and forgiven by others. Have you ever heard anyone say, you know, I, I have learned to forgive whoever, but I just can't forgive myself. You have no power to forgive yourself. That is the most ridiculous Christian statement that is out there today. And it's the most dangerous because what it does is it leads you to find self-discovery and how you can forgive yourself to let it go within yourself. And it leads you away from embracing the forgiveness of God, which is what love is. Forgiveness is a financial term. You take the four, put a dash in between there and giving, what it is is saying, I'm going to give to you before you have a chance to give to me. That's what forgiveness means. So when God forgives us for our sins, through the power of the cross, he's saying, I'm going to give to you before you have a chance to give to me. It's the first gift, the Christ child who became the Christ man, husband, savior, redeemer. Powerful message that has come with the cross. Since the cross is such a radical thing, I want to bring out several significant points of discovery with the radical cross. The first one is the cross is the most paradoxical expression of love in history. Why would that be? Why is it a paradox? Why is the cross a paradox? Which seems to have a double meaning. Why is that? Pure hatred that sent him there in exchange for love in return. I mean, that's crazy in the world. 
Do you know if I walked up to the average person on the street and slapped them across the face, they're going to sue me. Whereas Christ said in the Sermon of the Mount on Matthew 5, he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the left as well. If anyone takes your coat, give them your tennis shoes as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. That is not what we do today. We sue people. Shannon's right. The cross communicates abuse, suffering, horrid, horrid rejection. And at the same time, Christ is saying, this is needed in order for me to release you to give to someone else before they have a chance to give to you in spite of them slapping you, taking your coat, or forcing you to go a mile. The reason why he wants us to go that extra mile with them, the reason why when that slap comes in and we're to step into it for the next slap is it keeps us in connection with the abuser to love on them. To give to them what has been given to us freely. But that is not how the church functions today. Nobody owns these truths but the living Christ. It's about money. The love of money is the the root of all evil. Satan is very sly, he's very conniving, and he hates the love of God. He hates it. He is the God of hatred. And the definition of hatred is ambivalence. And I cannot tell you how often I encounter ambivalence on a daily basis. You can't provoke people to conviction anymore. There's a very small group in the world today that actually still suffer with conviction. The rest of the world, you can poke and prod and move them and preach and teach, and they look at you like, what are you saying? There's nothing provoking anymore. Because the sting of the message of the cross, the radicalness of the message of the cross has been evaporated through lawsuits and threats and constant, constant putting things off till tomorrow. I call it spiritual procrastination. Do you understand that if you're experiencing conviction right now, I don't care if you're in Liberia or I don't care if you're in Nigeria, if you're experiencing conviction right now, now's the time you respond to the Spirit, not in two hours. It's gone. The Spirit gives you a short window of opportunity to respond to conviction. And then it's gone. If you think the Holy Spirit's going to chase you around like a little child running from plant to plant, putting their hands in the dirt... You have been misinformed. Just as the global 
timeline of God, there is an ordained certain period of time that people on this earth are given the window of opportunity to receive Christ. And once that window shuts, if you can beg, plead, borrow, steal, do whatever you want, and God will not open that window again. And that's what we find in the book of Revelation, is that when that window is going closed, and he keeps putting out an opportunity for salvation, and people keep throwing it off till tomorrow. And that's the thing that drives me crazy the most about the study of the book of Revelation is I constantly sit at my desk and I weep because the people aren't getting it. And he keeps saying it and they're not getting it. And how these people could treat Christ in those times when he's making everything so relevant and they still delay it till tomorrow. And then that day comes when he says, It's over. I'm done. I am finished. There is no opportunity for you anymore. 90% of the entire human race, from Adam to the second Adam to the final hour, go to hell or put into the lake of fire. And if you question that, I challenge you to read the book of Revelation. Why is it the most ignored book in the entire Bible? That, my dear friends, is what I would call, duh. Why would Satan want you to read the end of the story? As long as you are ignorant of the end, you'll never get caught in conviction to repent. You never will. Because every day is a new day and another opportunity for success. Really? Point two. The primary means of disciples used in communicating God's love was the power of the cross. They didn't run back and do a Hebrew study. They didn't run forward and do a Greek study. They talked about the most recent event, and that was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Who was the most educated man that walked the face of the earth during the times of Jesus? Paul. Paul. Known worldwide, however big the world was at that time, he was the chief Pharisee. Chief of chiefs. They didn't get more educated than Paul. And then God spent 12 years dumbing him down. Something significant about that number 12, I might add. Spent 12 years dumbing Paul down for him to make a comment to the intellectual Corinthians. And he said this, For I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, that was the message. Paul didn't run off and get another master's degree or doctorate degree in theology, which is our common practice today. So we get people saved and we send them to Bible school so they can get a certification so when they graduate we can hire them as pastors. 
Do you understand that over 70% of the churches in America will not hire a pastor unless they've received a minimum of a master's degree in theology? Now you just show me in the scriptures where that is. Show me in the scriptures where there's one single person that God told them to go back and get more knowledge of the scriptures before they could preach. You will not find one verse. That does not mean that we don't go and get higher education. It's the attitude in which you do go get it. I'm in dialogue again with the president of Oxford Graduate School. And I do want this to go on to our podcast. Those of you who are just determined and you really truly do believe that God is telling you to get higher education... I want to encourage you to contact Oxford Graduate School. You can just Google that in and it'll take you right to their website. It's the top of the page. They are a Christ is life, Christ centered, bringing your Christian experience into your study program. And that's what becomes your doctorate or master's level study program. It's one of the only educational institutes that I would openly support. Because there are people who believe God wants them to go get more education. Now they're encouraging me to get my second doctorate so I could become a teacher, a fellow within the system. Well, I would need to go do that if that was a part of a mission God was calling me to. That's how it works. So it's not bad. It's why you're doing it. The cross is essential in following Christ. So when please look up Matthew 16:24. Okay, there's a formula in this passage. Again, this is Matthew 16:24, and the formula is this. What are the three components within that verse? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Why doesn't it say deny yourself, pick up Christ's cross and follow him? We're co-crucified and we're given our own cross. So understanding what the cross means might be a significant thing for us to discover today. The cross wipes away all pinions of man and literally places us on his pinions. Now, wait on the Lord and those who do wait on the Lord shall mount up on wings of eagles. Those are pinions. In the Hebrew, that means, actually translates out as pinions. Those are the pinions of the eagle. Which means the eagle is going to do the work. You set, you rest, as the song was revealing to us earlier. Our job is to labor to rest, Hebrews 4. God's job is to do the work. In order for God to do the work, he has to put Christ inside you so that the worker of the covenant, Christ, can do the work through you. The cross demands that man does something with the cross. Either deny and die, or you embrace and join the true race of God, and that's the family of God. 
the greatest deception within the church today is what? A few guesses anyway. What's that? Which means what then? What's the end result of that? And grace is for all, and that is true what you said, though. But we tend to misuse grace. What's the difference between Christianity and indwelt Christianity? Christianity is Christ's followers. Indwelt is Christ in us. There it is. Now, I don't know if this wigs you out a little bit. It doesn't wig me out. Sometimes it just flat out gets me angry. And I have to choose not to sin with that anger. When I hear statements like, all Americans are Christians. Or statements like, America is a Christian nation. Have you been outdoors lately? You see, the fact of just simply sitting in a pew is not getting you into eternity. The fact of Christ sitting in the pew, if you think that Christ is going to sit there and listening, listen to himself all the time, you don't understand the mission of Christianity. As soon as you receive Jesus Christ, you want to get out there and give it away. So passivity becomes a grievous sin to the indwell believer. The postmodern attitude of the cross today has changed man's view of the cross. But it does not change his demand that we must bear our cross with or without him. You see, there are indwelt believers that try to bear their cross alone without the indwelling life of Christ, which is already inside of them. And the way you find a, a believer like that is if they're going through hardship and they're bitter. Bitterness reveals with or without. He is such a gentleman, he will not force you to give up that daily living to him on a daily basis. He'll leave, he'll leave you alone. And he's actually living inside you. I mean, how radical is that? In the wrong sense, of course. Next slide shows us that passion today means sexual love. But in Jesus' day, and still does, by the way, it means a deep and terrible suffering. So when you say that you are passionate about something, you should be suffering over this truth. It should cause you to suffer. It should cause you to weep. It should cause you to get angry without sin. It, passion is suffering. The passion of Christ is the suffering of Christ. So you see, the reason why I want to put the sufferings of Christ in a lot of the work that we do is I want people to understand that you cannot have a release of love without the embrace of passion. Suffering. Christ suffered for the sake of what? 
his bride to learn obedience. But that is something most Christians won't put down in their prayer journal. I don't want to suffer. They go get a pill. They go for therapy. They do whatever it is they got to do to avoid that pain instead of embrace it. Have it become a part of your passion for Christ. Co-laboring in the sufferings of Christ. Passion requires a blood sacrifice that is infinite, almighty, and perfect. Jesus' passion, or Jesus' suffering, was spotless, impeachable, flawless, and without identity confusion. Which I got these in the Hebrew, by the way. So spotless, without sin, that makes sense. Someone please explain to us, biologically, why there wasn't sin inside Jesus' mortal body, even though he was born of a woman who did have sin in her body. This will set us up for next week. Why didn't Jesus have sin in his body? Exactly. And he does become in our heart. Sin is passed through the seed, not through blood. And those of you gals can explain this a whole lot better than I can. But science tells us to this very hour that a mother's blood does not mix with her child. Everything is new life inside that that child being formed and developing inside that mother. Except for what was in daddy's seed. And so since sin is in the seed... That's exactly what the scriptures tell us. And sin has passed through the seed. We need a new seed of righteousness to be put inside Mary. So this baby that is formed is without sin. That is the logical, biological, real creation explanation of why there was not sin inside Jesus' body. He was spotless. From birth to death. So when he gave his blood for us, it was pure. Hebrew tells us that there's identity in the blood. Now I read that many, many, many years ago. Before DNA was talked about so much. But do you realize that today, you can take DNA out of my, my body and if they could get DNA sample from my great 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 grandfather Samuel Chase who signed the Declaration of Independence do you, do you realize they can actually tell me I'm related to him? Through DNA. Because there's identity in the blood. So when the blood <coughs> 
the blood of Christ cleanses us, we receive his identity. That's how it happens. But since you don't go in for a blood transfusion, you don't have memories of this blood transfusion, uh, the enemy just gets you to put it off till tomorrow. Identity is found in the blood, thus a pure bloodline is required for a pure sacrifice for sin. I want to show you something. Here's the lineage from Adam <coughs> all the way down to Jesus. This is provable by biblical verses and passages. And then from Adam down to John. From John into all the indwelt believers after that. There is no lineage of Christ after his ascension. Do you understand that? There was no children that came from him. Because it, he's locked into this stage of being engaged to the bride of Christ. And there's going to be a wedding feast after this is all done. And the window is shut. There's a wedding feast. So the rest of the story, stay with me on this listeners, the rest of the story with Jesus is yet to be revealed. The book of Revel, the revealing of the life of Christ, the book of Revelation, is telling us that there's more to come. Whereas John, Jesus' is beloved, someone please tell me how many disciples were at the foot of the cross? 12, 11? 1. Every single disciple took a hike, a vacation. And did not associate with Jesus at the cross. Except for who you're looking at. See, is that accidental? Does that mean Jesus was upset at all the disciples, not just Peter? Wrong. Not one of those disciples was tracked from Adam to Matthew. Adam to Mark, at none of them except for John. Why was John such a beloved of Jesus? Because his line, his lineage, was spelled out specifically in the scriptures to prove to you, doubters of God, that John and his seed can be traced to the creation of man. Jesus was the redeemer, the provider of this new life. John was to carry it forward. So to have John be the author of the book of Revelation, that is not, not accidental because he's the one that had the sharpest pencil. Do you know who Polycarp was? Polycarp was John's first and primary disciple. 
John didn't have a lot of disciples that we know of. But the word is clear. Church history is clear about Polycarp. He was the spokesman for John while John was on Patmos. And they came after Polycarp and they, they tied him to a stake. And they put a bunch of sticks around the bottom of that stake and they lit him on fire and they tried doing this several times and the man wouldn't burn. The fire of hell could not touch his body. So they all got out their knives. Who were these all that got out their knives? The Roman state church that was coming through Deacon Nicholas that Jesus himself said, for I hate the works of Deacon Nicholas. Deacon Nicholas was trained at the school of Alexander. He was introducing to the seven churches in Turkey that you needed a mediator to get to Christ, a priest. And that's how the Roman Catholic Church was formed. Mind-bending? Beyond mind-bending. There are leaders like John Calvin who claim to be seed descendants of Polycarp. You can trace the work of Polycarp into the Church of Philadelphia, Philadelphia into many of the ministries that exist today. John was a significant forefather of the true indwelt church. That's the power of the cross in the seed. All have sinned and fallen short of the blood of Christ. Romans 3.23 All are sentenced to go to hell upon birth, but those who embrace the cross... Find the love of God in and through his Son who lives in the believer. <clears throat> Why is it we go to hell? Just a reminder here. Because of sin. How'd that sin get in on us? I mean, we're talking birth. Next week when we talk about the Christ child and we talk about S Stephen the child, both of us born into this world. Well, what's the big difference? Well, he's the Christ, the Messiah. Well, what made him Christ, the Messiah? Pure seed. Pure seed. You see, I had the seed of my father. And my father's father, and my father's 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 father, and it goes all the way back to Adam. Because sin travels through the seed. So therefore, when I am born, I'm already in need of the gospel of the cross. His blood. His DNA is untrackable because you can't get a DNA sample of the living God. But if you could, you'll see that they would match. Next slide shows us this. Self-proclaimed Christians today are hunting for a deeper life. Christ-haters are hunting for a deeper life. What are some of the ways that Christ-haters try to find a deeper life? Finding 
What's that? Fighting against those who do love Christ. Yeah, but how are they, how are they trying to find satisfaction, contentment, and deeper life? Self-help. What's that? Through self-help. Like? God. Learn to... And going back to what we... Learn how to, as a cover of a book I saw this week, learn how to forgive yourself. You know what that says to me? As a preacher of the true gospel? Learn how to be your own Christ. That's what it's about. They're hunting for ways that they can maintain their own godhood. Their own answers, their own solutions. Some people even run off and get two, three degrees on pop psychology to figure out why it is that people are dysfunctional. They don't function well because they are trying to function after the seed of Adam. The deeper life of God's definition is Christ in you. Those who actually experience deeper life manifest a rapturous worship, separation from the world, and a joyous surrender to the inward life of Jesus Christ. To obtain deeper life, one first must embrace their cross. This is what the cross is symbolic of passion. I need to find out what my sufferings are. What has been appointed to me is my sufferings. And that is a very difficult, long process. So I had a, a, a uh, Christian leader, and if he's listening, I'm not insulting you. I'm just clarifying my belief here. But I had a Christian leader contact me this week and wanted to pray over me to deliver me from heart failure. And I let him pray, and it was some radical praying. Name it, claim it, stab it, slab it, whatever you got to do in prayer to make sure that I feel delivered after he was done. Truth being said, inside, I've already embraced my cross. I already believe if God wants to deliver me completely from heart failure, that it would happen. But when he was done, I thanked him, and I truly was thankful that a brother cares. I shared with you the, the uh, World Summit when I went down there, and these leaders got around me, and God revealed a word of knowledge to one of them, saying he's going to give you two more decades. Well, I'm going to openly accept that, because I don't know. So you don't kick them away to the curb. You just need to know I have embraced my cross. And if there is deliverance along the way where God brings another person in to help carry that cross, which is kind of temporary healing, I know no human that has received full biological healing while they're alive. And I know there's pastors that would disagree with me on that. I don't want to live on this life for two, three, four hundred years because people keep praying deliverance prayers over my dying body. I want to go home. And I want to go home soon. 
But the day that I'm in today, I need to live that in bearing my cross, my sufferings, my passion. Another thing the Lord reminded me of yesterday as I was fine-tuning the sermon was daily, daily bear my passion. Mix my passion with your passion. Because it is actually one cross with two sides. It's not a separate cross. Therefore, I have been crucified separately from Christ. I am the one who will choose to believe this. I will live my life with the knowledge and and education of Jesus. No, that's satanic. That's from Pergamum. It is I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. We're together, guys. And here's the word picture the Lord gave me and reminded me of yesterday. Who was the guy that came along, which I put it in the video clip that's coming up here. Who was the guy that came along and picked up Jesus' cross? Yes. Think about this, guys. Doesn't this mess with your mind? This is Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. And I'm sure he was in far better shape than you and I. The God of the universe carrying his cross, fulfilling his own mandate of carrying his cross, and God appoints someone to come along It was not accidental. Check out the definition of his name. It's not accidental. He comes along and bears the cross of Jesus Christ. Helps him, doesn't replace him, helps him take it to the top of the hill. After the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension occurred, Christ swapped roles. We are carrying the cross and he has come to bear it up. Is that not a beautiful picture? It certainly is for me. To experience deeper life, one must make two exchanges. One is for salvation and the other one is for the self-life. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Christ. The other exchange is taking my old man and he puts it on the cross and it's put to death and I receive his life. Two exchanges. Crucified with Christ slide. Those who do not understand co-crucifixion only know a cheap, low-grade, and misleading kind of Christianity. Why would that be? Exactly. If you can just see this word picture... Of standing in front of the cross, you're at the foot of the cross. Every day, you stay at the foot of the cross. I've heard that preached I don't know how many times. Here's what the good Lord does with me. Come here, Stephen. Who are you seeing now? And who is it? It's me. I have been crucified with Christ. That's the full gospel. 
That's the radical cross. And I can come over here and go, worship and praise the living Christ who gave himself up for me. Oh, and there's the me. So what does that leave? What Paul said, Galatians 6.3, For I determine for he who thinks he's something when he is nothing, deceives himself. See, the reason why I'm nothing is when I come around the back side of the cross and see Shadow Man, he's nothing. It's permanently dealt with. To hear some of the theological wrangling of words over Galatians 2.20 and Romans 6.6 6 about the co-crucifixion is boring to me. And it shows your ignorance. And whether you're a dichotomous or trichotomous or whatever cotomous you want to stick on yourself, the simple fact is you, if you are truly indwelt by the life of Christ, have been crucified with Christ. Your old man is dead, Romans 6, 6. God's highest purpose in life is to invite sinners onto the cross and into the grave in order to experience Christ's highest purpose, redemption. But the way you hear it preached is not onto the cross, into the grave. Romans 6, 7 says you have been buried with him in the likeness of his death. Therefore, you have been raised with him. See, it's in that same power of resurrection. But that's normally not what is preached. Those who skim over the great exchange just might find themselves in the pit of hell someday because they have been intellectual followers of the knowledge of the holy. I have the knowledge of the holy in my mortal body. And so do you if you've been saved. It's in you. Burn my Bible. I have the word of God living inside me. So do you. But these external Bibles become pretty, pretty valuable. Because it bears witness with the truth that is in you. The reason most of us don't embrace co-crucifixion is that they want to maintain their individual identity aside from Christ. You just have to be honest enough to say my identity is my job, my identity is my family, my identity, your confession of what you're going to do if you have one week left, you're actually confessing what your identity is. I know exactly what I would do if I had one week left. I would approach my family and say, guys, I got seven days and I want you to know I love you a lot. I want you to know that I'm eternally grateful for you and I would hit the pavement. I would not spend them my, my last days with an investment that I've already invested in. That should produce fruit already. It would be in completing the mission of the cross. 
Unidentified eagles result in unidentified identity in Christ. Simple deal. The greatest enemy of co-crucifixion is psychology, which is the study of the human soul, of the mind, the will, and the emotions. The saints of God must walk alone at least to the cross. Fact is, no one wants to die on the cross, particularly on a daily basis. The exchange life requires an embrace that the cross interferes or restricts with the self-life. That's the biggest deal. I don't want to process these truths I've just heard today because, honestly, I don't want to give up on all my selfish desires. Well, have fun. The blunt reality is cross-bearing requires chastisement and pain. How many have seen the movie The Passion of Christ? You know that scene where they have him roped to the beating post? And they are whipping the daylights out of him? I can't get through that scene without being overwhelmed and sobbing. He's being chastised, put into pain because of my sin. And the anger that I have to deal with with these actors for Pete's sake. That it's like I want I want them punished instead of compassion being released into me, Lord please save those soldiers. Yeah, that's where the rubber hits the road, folks. Christ gave himself for all people, but he only selects a few that he knows in advance that will accept their cross and follow him. Keep in mind here that each elect has their own cross and is required to carry it. And the purpose of individual radical cross-bearing is to celebrate the personhood of Jesus Christ, our husband. And knowing the difference between the old rugged cross, his, and the in our cross is essential, of course, in daily living. Christ didn't come for peace, but he came with a sword. We're going to pick up on that next week. Since Christ had to suffer to learn obedience, I think we might have to as well. All indwell believers must make a uh, make a moment by moment decision to demand to be crucified and not coddled. People of the cross are interested in mortifying or making less their flesh. Less I, more him. The cross requires the obedience of Christ inside the believer. Christ came to give his bride an abundant life. And that's done through grace, of course. Acts 4.33 The cross did not change God, but fulfilled the promise of God. Promise that no man had to obtain salvation through works or effort, but of course only through Christ and his grace. And God's promises, God promises an unspeakable joy to those who embrace him through the power of the cross. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you endure various trials. God promises the same hope and future for his son's bride, 
who indwells the believer upon salvation. Here's our identity matter statement for the week. A, f- a friend, spiritually anyway, I've only uh, listened to his uh, some of his audio work and, and uh, read some of the works that God has given him. But Tozer said this, Though the cross of Christ has been beautified by the poet and the artist, the avid, avid seeker after God is likely to find the same savage implement of destruction. It was in the days of old. The way of the cross is still the pain-wracked path to spiritual power and fruitfulness. It took me many times of reading, rereading, reading, rereading that statement, which, by the way, um, would be a book I would encourage you to read, and it's called The Radical Cross by Tozer. Don't seek to hide from co-crucifixion. Do not attempt to find an easier way to bear your cross. Do not allow yourself to be deceived into thinking that a little sleep and a little slumber will provide you with an added comfort in your journey, but rather look carefully at your cross. Pick it up. Follow Christ with the strength he has placed within you through the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.